You're listening to The Wake Up Reads with Alex Svetsky, the show where I read the best articles, excerpts, and essays from the world of Bitcoin, philosophy, and contrarian thinking. Welcome to episode three of The Wake Up Reads. On this episode, we are going to go into The Remnant Part 3, which I've entitled The Game of Thrones. Before we do so, as usual, a couple of little announcements. Uh, the commun- the Uncommunist Manifesto, Jesus, I didn't write The Communist Manifesto. The Uncommunist Manifesto will be coming out very shortly, depending on when you're listening to this episode. We will be probably prepping for launching on Amazon. So if you want to come and support us and be notified, we will probably do like a flash sale to begin with. So that'll probably for like 24 hours or something, you'll be able to get it at a discounted price. So jump on uncommunist.com, chuck your email in there, and we will notify you of when that goes live. Other than that, we are moving as much of the podcast as possible over onto Fountain. So we're obviously still going to be available everywhere. But if you're listening to this, download the Fountain app, come and interact with us there. You can send boosts, you can send comments with those boosts, you can request me to read specific articles, to bring on specific guests, etc. So we want to get that engagement and that interaction going with you guys as the audience. So two little announcements. I'm going to keep this really short, so let's get stuck straight into the read itself and then an analysis of the read at the end of the read, of course. Remnant Part 3, A Game of Thrones. The Archetypal Relationship Dynamics. It was originally published on the 3rd of December with Bitcoin Magazine. I'll put the link in the show notes. Part 2 of the Remnant series explored the psyche of the three primary human archetypes. In the third, and at this point, final part of the series, I want to explore the relationship and dynamics between each of the primary archetypes so that we can better understand how to behave, relate, interact, cooperate, or compete with each. To begin with, let's lay out some mental models. The red ants and the black ants. I've got an image here of basically red ants versus black ants. If you put 100 red ants and 100 black ants into a jar, nothing will happen. They will sit there, observing each other, weary but generally peaceful. If you then shake the jar, the ants will start killing each other. The red ants will believe that the black ants are the enemy and vice versa, when in reality, the enemy is the person who shook the jar. If you're looking for a simple mental model to help understand how easy it is to have the groups of otherwise similar people at each other's throats, this is it. The parasites are the ultimate jar makers and shakers. Their ingenuity has led them to develop systems which confine entire groups of lemmings such that mass hysteria can take hold with a little chaos and uncertainty. Most impressive of all is that they've accomplished this via the consent of the same damn lemmings. Unfortunately for the remnant, the environment we grow up in and live in is often the same kind of jar. 
the active and radical remnants often find a way to escape, while the dormant remnant finds themselves trapped inside with multiple groups of mindless ants all tearing each other apart. The Elite In their bid to weaponize the masses against the remnant, the parasites have actually obfuscated the terminology of the word elite. The natural elites used to be admired, but in vilifying them and convincing the mindless horde that they're out to rob them, they've given permission to the lemmings to take aim at the producers as a way to apply virus innumerous to the detriment of all. I've then got an image in here which is a beautiful image. It's, uh, it's attributed to Nuda the Debt. I think, that's a, I think that must be a Twitter handle, but it's got the non-rich and the rich and like a cross-section and it says wrong enemy. And then next to it, the non-rich and rich and then a cross-section coming down the middle. Uh, and it sort of shows you the right enemy, which is the predators, cronies, and the rent seekers are the right enemy. Whereas the owners, the entrepreneurs, and the protectors, uh, you know, the basically the, the people on the right side. The image above is one of the simplest ways to understand this and I suggest you share it far and wide. We need to take back this term because the designation of elite implies that one is exceptional at something. In my mind, being elite is something to strive for. It is to become the best version of yourself. And there's more on this in an article I wrote in support of the elite back in 2020. I'll link that in the show notes. Protection. The parasite is the individual who, number one, convinces the entrepreneur the mindless mob is out to get them and promises protection for a fee. And number two, convinces the mob that the entrepreneur is out to rob them and promises to get arms from them for a fee. Oscar Amaringa, I think that's how I pronounce his name. He was a socialist author and the kind of parasite who at least knew how to define his craft well. And there's a quote here from him that says, quote, Politics is the gentle art of getting votes from the poor and campaign funds from the rich by promising to protect each from the other, end quote. This kind of racket has been going on for millennia, and those who practice it have become quite adept at it. Democracy, in other words, modern socialism, is merely the most advanced incarnation because it gives the entrepreneurs enough room to move, to innovate, and to produce, and then by the will of the masses, it is all stolen via taxation, inflation, and never-ending borrowing from the future. Legal gangs. The last heuristic is related to all of the above, but even more challenging for some people to accept. The reality of nature is that we're always in a state of anarchy. The only difference is the scale at which the anarchy occurs. Government is created to combat anarchy, but because no one ever governs the governors, we've not really escaped anarchy. We've just moved it up or down the scale. Edmund Burke called this the grand era upon which all legislative power is founded. We appoint governors to guard ourselves from violence, but a worse and more perplexing difficulty arises, i.e. how to defend against the governors. If you think about this long and hard enough, you'll find that a government is merely a legally appointed gang or cartel who, when all the window dressing is removed, has and holds the power because it may use force to achieve its ends. Then there's a fantastic image in here which says how government works. 
breaks your legs, sells your wheelchair, taxes the wheelchair, regulates use of the wheelchair, assures you that without government, you wouldn't be able to get around. So, yeah. Governments are therefore the more sophisticated incarnation of a gang, created and run by parasites with the explicit purposes of legalizing theft, racketeering, and parasitic behavior by a select few. This is why if we're ever to have a functional government, it must be one that is held economically accountable, one who cannot operate outside of the economic bounds we all operate within, and who cannot use a model to obfuscate reality. You cannot hold an institution accountable via a piece of paper, which it has the power to change or ignore. The accountability must come in the form of a physical law like gravity. Therein lies the importance of Bitcoin, but we'll get into this later. For now, keep the above models of the world and harsh truths in mind as we explore the relationships between each of the archetypes. The battlefield. As with personality typing, analyzing the relationship between the archetypes helps you understand each of them better than just exploring them in isolation. Then I've got this hilarious meme in here from the Matrix where it's got um, the government as the architect, law enforcement as Smith, uh, Bitcoiners as Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus, and then Shitcoiner, which is, uh, what's his name? I forgot his name now, but we know the, the Judas. And then society as the batteries, basically, in the real world. When I think about the relationship, I view it as a sort of game or battlefield, like a blend of chess and poker being played by three different species, some who are excellent players and play fair, others who just keep changing the rules to their own benefit and the detriment of others, i.e. the cheaters, and lastly, the lemmings, who are not aware they're even playing a game in the first place. So let's explore. The remnant versus the parasite. This is the main battle, and resembles playing a game of chess against your little shit of a brother, who is a compulsive liar and cheater. The good-hearted big brother knows he's better, so he lets the little one get away with it. Unfortunately, this is where the remnant's moral superiority has failed them since time immemorial. The remnant exists to produce, to innovate, to progress, and to compete in the meritocratic free market. The parasite looks to embed themselves in such a way to extract maximum value for minimum input. Their goal is to create unfair advantage by transforming meritocratic into democratic. They are freeloaders, and the more they get away with, the more they want to take. The remnant's great error is to not kill the monster while it's little. Hank Reardon is guilty of this in Atlas Shrugged. He continues to fight, to build, to toil and produce, while Wesley Mouch and crew bleed him dry and destroy everything around him through sheer greed, stupidity, ignorance and short-sightedness. Unfortunately, the real world is much like the novel. The parasitic class have become better at developing models of theft and the steps to implement them are as follows. Number one, develop elaborate mechanism of theft, often by accidental iteration. Number two, indoctrinate the masses and the lemmings into believing it's normal. Number three, weaponize the lemmings and the masses against the remnant. That's like the 1% narrative. And number four, brainwash the remnant and or drug them into submission 
so that there is less resistance. And this is why there is such a large dormant remnant. The process repeats despite the fact that these mechanisms break down every generation and the strong men have to rise up and rebuild each time. In a way, it reminds me of Zion in the Matrix. There was how many iterations? The absolute worst-case scenario is the parasite makes the environment so bad that it wipes out too much of the remnant, i.e. the host, and the world goes completely to hell. But that doesn't bode well for the parasite either, so it's a pyrrhic victory. Perhaps this is what happened to the other sentient intelligent species who did not pass through the Great Filter. While we cannot know the answer to that, we do know there is hope for humanity. Unluckily, or perhaps luckily for the parasite, the remnant, by its very definition, remains. On a long enough timescale, you cannot defeat them. You cannot remove randomness from the universal equation. All the models are truly broken, because true reality cannot be modeled. The discovery of energy money may well be how we unplug from the matrix and once and for all transcend the realm of the parasite. Explored below in Bitcoin Fixes This. Training the psychopath. A slight detour here, but something I recently learned from Nozomi Hayashi is the idea that psychopaths may inherently be a different species than empathetic humans. Her work on this topic will provide far more coverage of this idea, but the part I wanted to point out here is the mistake made by otherwise well-intentioned humans to try and fix psychopaths by teaching them empathy. It's apparently akin to teaching a colorblind person the color blue, in that they will just not get it. And the danger is that they will see this as a weakness on the part of the empath, which they can weaponize. Such conclusions have been drawn from some studies, which once again, Nozomi's work will do much better justice than my reading. I find this an interesting anecdote or piece of the puzzle when analyzing the relationship between the remnant and the parasite. The remnant versus the masses. And this is like playing chess with a bag of potatoes. The potatoes are not only ignorant of the rules of the game of chess, but they are unaware that they are even playing the game. The remnant energy when it comes to their relationship to the masses reminds me of the interaction between Ellsworth Tui and Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead. Tui asks Rourke, Mr. Rourke, we're all alone here. Why don't you tell me what you think of me? In any words you wish, no one will hear us. End quote. Rourke replies, quote, but I don't think of you. End quote. And while Rourke was speaking to a parasite in this case, the invocation is the same. This is the only honest response by a remnant towards the masses. They don't want to use or oppress or take advantage of the masses. The remnant barely recognize them. The remnant is focused on the mastery of his own craft and of his own character. And those who are of the same ilk respect that and are attracted to it. They do their thing, you do yours. You trade, exchange, collaborate, and cooperate. You deal with the masses insofar as what they need is something you can provide. It's a purely commercial transaction, and that doesn't require love or hate nor any emotion or a call to moral action. This is, in fact, another differentiator between the remnant and the parasite. The remnant will build on vision and instinct. They can almost sense the future and know that the buyers will come. The parasite, on the other hand, will, will coerce, blackmail, and deceive the masses into believing they need what's being sold to them. 
it's a completely different energy, a different intention, and obviously a different outcome. The remnant, through some strength of character, has no desire to use the masses as pawns, nor coerce them. In fact, they want little to do with these people because they're usually a distraction and probably require babysitting. They much prefer to find the few remnant. A little clip follows from King Leonidas asking both the Spartans and the Akkadians, what is your profession? This is a surprise. Silence! We heard Sparta was on the warpath. We were eager to join forces. If it is blood you seek, you're welcome to join us. But you bring only this handful of soldiers against Xerxes? You see, I was wrong to expect Sparta's commitment to at least match our own. Doesn't it? You, there. What is your profession? I'm a potter. So. And you? Arcadian, what is your profession? Sculptor, sir. And you? Blacksmith. Spartans! What is your profession? You see, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. I love that movie. The idea of using the masses is foreign to the remnant. What use could one have for a mindless lemming that just gets in the way? The reality is the remnant barely notices them until they've been weaponized by the parasites, like a horde of mindless zombies. Only then does the remnant attack in self-defense. Unfortunately, this is where we are now. I for one never cared for them and just wanted to be left alone. Now, they're on our properties, in our faces, all over our feeds, and like shit on a blanket, they fouled up the air and are difficult to remove. The parasite versus the masses. This is like stealing candy from a baby. It's not even a game. To the parasites, the masses are the ideal pawns. They exist merely as a tool to use against the productive members of society. They're perfect because they don't think deeply about what things actually mean, nor what the second, let alone third or subsequent order effects may be on society or their environment. They're fooled into believing nice-sounding ideologies full of vague platitudes, then stirred up emotionally to perform heinous acts and crimes in the name of we're all in this together or for some miasmic greater good. Worldcoin, recently released by Silicon Valley Parasites, is a perfect example. I've got this clip here of Universal Basic Crypto with the stupid orb um, this, you know, masked dude is in some village getting these women to scan their iris so that they can be airdropped one of these world coins. Absolute ridiculous. To a remnant or a person of greater than turd level intelligence, this is categorically the dumbest idea possible. It took Bitcoiners less than a microsecond to identify it as a scan, and then another five minutes to point that out beyond a shadow of a doubt. Then I've got a screenshot here of me, actually, uh, on Twitter, saying, In Silicon Soy Valley, some animals are more equal than others. Only a parasite would build something like this, and only a lemming would follow it off the edge of a cliff. Obviously, this is in relation to the WorldCoin thing. And in there, one of the... Some Bitcoin pleb online has 
taking a screenshot of WorldCoin plans to issue 10 billion tokens in total with 80% going to users, 10% to the company's investors, and another 10% to a foundation for manufacturing the orbs and developing the network. So this guy says, yes, you get one token each, they get the other 2 billion. <laughs> it's like absolutely ridiculous. But alas, the lemmings will follow the master's direction right off the side of the cliff into the lava, believing it's the path to paradise. The worst part is not that they end up in the lava, but that as they continue to leap to their death, they will actually blame it on those who do not jump into the lava with them. This is the extent of derangement possible when you take a member of the masses and place them on a diet of soy, envy, propaganda, platitudes, and moral relativism. There is no saving the lemmings through reason. There is no rallying them on our side through words. Their only hope is that the functional subset of humanity builds a new world and it becomes the default. This has, is, and always will be the role of the remnant. And I've got another uh, image here from news.com.au. says, Australians who suffer from rare heart conditions after their coronavirus vaccines will soon be able to access a new government payment. <laughs> like, they kill themselves and... Wild. Until then, the parasites will continue to coerce the blind masses into voluntary slavery while weaponizing them against the remnant, i.e. the true source of wealth in any society. Bitcoin fixes this. Can Bitcoin fix this? On a long enough timescale, I believe so. Although a system can likely never remove parasites altogether, good hygiene, Bitcoin in the economic and social sense, makes it harder for them to proliferate or even exist in the first place. In fact, perhaps the role the parasite must play is like the snake in the garden. They exist to keep the system strong and resilient, to keep the remnant sharp, to awaken them and to test them, akin to the grand role of evil in a society. At some level, it exists to challenge good and keep it not just honest, but robust. So in that sense, perhaps the parasite is never fully removed. Perhaps Bitcoin's role is to make the environment hygienic enough for prosperity, by making it impossible for them to feed and grow to the extent they have today. Let's explore this further. The parasitic environment. In the same way particular environments are conducive to the growth of mold and fungi, parasites proliferate when the conditions are right. The fiat world we're living in provides the ideal conditions for parasitism to be rewarded. When the consequences of human actions are not evident, and we can lie to ourselves through the development of models that do not reflect reality, where the map is taken as gospel and the territory ignored, the world quickly devolves into a mindless tyranny. Environments with ideal conditions for parasitism include Hollywood, politics, Silicon Valley, academia, Wall Street. In fact, it's so bad that even some traditional remnants have decayed into the parasitic version of themselves due to a blend of fear, greed, and broken incentives. Arnold Schwarzenegger devolved into an anti-freedom castrated sheep. Chamath turned into a full-blown status soy boy. And Taleb is suffering from major viral hysteria and Bitcoin derangement syndrome. It's quite sad, actually, and a reminder of why what we're doing is so important. If we fix the money, we can fix behavior and downstream have a positive impact on the world. Through this lens, 
Bitcoin goes a long way toward fixing this. A new dawn. Bitcoin, by virtue of tying the metaphysical cost of decisions to real-world economic consequences, makes fraudulent, abhorrent, and parasitic behavior expensive. Quote, Bitcoin's number one impact to society will be the reintroduction of economic consequences. End quote. And there I think I'm actually quoting myself. Could the discovery of Bitcoin move us from a type zero into a type one civilization? Could this take us beyond the framework of the remnant, the parasite, and the masses? Could energy money root human action into reality such that time, energy, and resource wastage is drastically reduced through cost and consequence? Could the result be that everyone's character is forged toward being exceptional and outstanding? Could Homo Bitcoinicus as a species not have a blind masses, but a literal civilization of remnants? Is this what lies beyond the Great Filter? I don't know. All I know is that Bitcoin may well be the most important discovery since fire, and future generations will measure the time chain of humanity as before Bitcoin, BB, and after Bitcoin, AB. Before Bitcoin was a low-fidelity, low-resolution version of history in which Homo sapiens battles to establish themselves as the dominant, intelligent, sentient species on planet Earth. After Bitcoin is a high-fidelity, near-perfect resolution continuation of history in which Homo Bitcoinicus emerges and harnesses the energy from the sun, leading them to the next great leap, teleportation. But that's for another article, Fire Bitcoin Teleportation, which is in Bitcoin Times Edition 4. For now, suffice it to say that I have hope. My guess is that there will always be a masses of some form, because 80-20 distributions are found at every layer of existence. But by making it harder for the parasites to exist, and removing the incentive to profitably do so consistently, and over a long period of time, at the very least the masses cannot be weaponized against the remnant. Then I've got a quote here from Nozomi Hayashi. Quote, Through incentivizing greed, Satoshi does not test miners beyond their capacity to endure, and at the same time, by rewarding honest behavior, he ensures that even the souls lost among us who are devoid of conscience will not be led astray. End quote. In the meantime, our role as Bitcoiners is to continue to unplug the dormant remnant among us, to maintain the purity and integrity of the signal, and to forge ahead on a divergent system that is incompatible with the fraud of a world we're living in. We have the power, the capacity, the intellect, and the will to define and build a world which we would like not only to live in, but be proud to hand down to our kin. A world in which human action feedback loops are tightened, consequences become real, rewards are naturally compounded, and the incentives exist to become the best version of yourself. And although it's not a world guided by mass or parasitic ideals, it's a world in which they both benefit. The parasites, because they end up with a world that they can continue to live in, for if we leave it to them, they will not only devour us, they will devour themselves when we've run out. Their only chance for long-term survival is to get the hell out of the way. The masses will benefit because a rising tide lifts all boats, and perhaps the incentives transform them into something more like the remnant by forcing their character to develop. Time will tell. Bitcoin will record it either way. The end of the Remnant series. Alrighty, there you have it, folks. So that is the end of the Remnant series. I think I'm also going to read 
Albert J. Knox piece, and I'll do that in the next episode. And we can do a bit of dissecting of that piece, even though obviously remnant number one was a dissection of it to some degree. Um, yeah, we'll do a specific episode on that. So a couple of ideas that I wanted to wanted to pull on here. As I was reading this, one of the pieces that caught my attention was this idea of Zion and the Matrix and the fact that Zion had multiple iterations in it. It reminded me of how the architect and basically the machines realized that the for the system itself to be stable, for for society not to implode or for the simulation not to implode or collapse in on itself, there needed to exist the one. There needed to be exist that randomness variable, that neo, that remnant. And I guess in a real world sense, like if we look at the stabilizing force of the, you know, against, sorry, the hysteria and the stupidity and the madness that is going on in the world, like we've kind of emerged as that. In fact, Bitcoin, I would say, is the thing that emerged from the pressure of a world going categorically insane slowly by slowly. And and Bitcoin's kind of emerged. And what Bitcoin has become in many ways, even though it had like its emergence was in 2008, the way the world has evolved is actually part and parcel what Bitcoin has become. If the world wasn't such a clown world, one could argue that Bitcoin would not have become as strong as it is now or what would not have emerged in the way it has. So, so for me, that's really interesting because in, in that sense, Bitcoin is Neo, right? Bitcoin is the, is the randomness variable that has to exist in order to keep the system stable and from imploding on itself. And I guess I make the case in the article that if the parasites win and they wipe out all the remnants, well, then they're going to end up turning in on each other and eating themselves, right? So, you know, they start with eat the rich and then they eat themselves because there's no one left to feed them. So it's a, you know, if they win, we all lose. But if we win, they also win. So, so I think that's a, that's a really powerful takeaway and really powerful idea uh, from this piece. Um, another one that I really like is the is the remnant energy, uh, particularly with Rourke saying what he did to Tui, but I don't think of you. I absolutely love that. And, and, and I think that's a part of the personality that we all have to cultivate in ourselves. Like, I think I have that naturally. But it's something I want to continue to cultivate in myself because when I was younger, I wasn't really that strong-minded. Um, I was I was always strong-willed, but I, I I grew up very soft. I must admit, and I've had to really cultivate that in myself. And and it's not it doesn't come from a place of arrogance or a place of uh, egoism. It comes from a place of knowing one's worth and knowing one's value. And I think we live in a world today where and I mean, to relate this to chapter four of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, it's like we keep comparing ourselves to everyone else and every, you know, all of our individual values become relative to somebody else's value. And, and, and we don't have our own groundedness or our own truth. So I, I fucking love that position. And I mean, a friend, two, two people we all know, particularly if you're listening to my podcast, is Francis Pulio and Saifedean Amos. Like those two guys 
uh, two people that I know personally who have that energy in their very blood. Like they have complete fuck you energy and I love both of them and shout out to both you fuckers um, for that. I've, I've learned a lot from them on that. And, and you know what's funny? I, I haven't seen a group so consistently able to have that kind of energy other than Bitcoiners. Um, so that's beautiful. And then that kind of leads into this other idea of, you know, people, when I first wrote this Remnant series, um, people were like, oh, you know, you're Klaus Schwab, Spawn, and all this sort of crap. And, you know, I, I, that's why I ended up obviously writing the second part, which was this separation between the Remnant and the Parasite, because that, that delineation is extremely important, because the Parasite looks to take those they believe are lower than them and weaponize them or use them or extract something from them. Um, and if they can't extract from them, they obviously weaponize them to extract from the people, the archetype that I've called the remnant. Um, whereas the remnant archetype is not looking to use someone else. The remnant archetype is looking to become the best version of themselves and to kind of eliminate noise and distraction. And what a lot of these lemmings represent is basically noise and distraction. I don't want to go out and use one of these people or, you know, steal from them or rob from them or take advantage of them. Like, I just want to be left alone. Like, fuck off. Let me do my thing. If there's an opportunity for exchange, sure. You buy something that I've built. Fantastic. Like that, that I have absolutely no problem with. And that's why I kind of make the case in the article for the relationship between the remnant and the masses being one that is purely commercial in nature. You don't have to like them. You know, there's no moral duty to like, you know, go on some crusade to protect them and to, you know, place them above us or none of that shit. Like the, the moral duty is to look after oneself and become the best version of oneself without stealing or tearing down or coercing someone else. And when you come into contact with people who may not have the same sort of values or the fortitude or the gumption, you know, or the spirit that you respect, well, then you just have a commercial transaction with them. Simple as that. And, and that's the beauty of money. And that's the beauty of how that technology enables humanity to scale. So, so that's, a, that's a really profound, really important idea, which I wanted to echo uh, in this little analysis towards the end. The next part, which I think is important, is this idea of the lemmings blaming us for their ailments or the the, um, the visualization that I used in the article was that they walk off the cliff, land in the lava, and as they're dying, they actually blame us for their hurt or for their suffering. Even though we told them, don't, there's fucking lava off the edge of that cliff, don't walk over there. And they're like, no, they ignore, 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 then they die. And or in the process of dying, they blame us and it's our fault. And for me, this is, I think, after I wrote this article, and it's funny, the, the period that I wrote these three pieces, it was, I think it was like September, then October, November or something, and then early December, right, of 2021. And that was kind of around like the peak hysteria, peak stupidity of the world, what I thought was peak at the time, right? It was still was still in the midst of like corona hysteria, still in the midst of morons just wearing masks inside shops and all that. And and I've been away for that for quite a while now. So like I don't experience that firsthand. I I'm dreading going back into some areas of South America where that kind of stuff is the norm. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But um the 
yeah, the, the, the piece that I wanted to mention here is that I came to this sort of realization in reading these pieces, also writing these pieces, was that maybe the bigger enemy here is not like the Klaus Schwabs of the world. It's the fucking lemming neighbor that dobs on that dobs on you, that dobs on the neighbor for having a Christmas party um, that is not, you know, uh, allowed or not sanctioned by the government, for example. Like, those kind of people, and I, I recently finished reading, or recently finished listening to Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and, man, there was a couple points in there where, I mean, Hitler and the Nazis were obviously not jobs, but how they basically brainwashed the, the German lemmings into colluding with them and supporting them and basically snitching on their friends and family. Like there was this one particular individual who they talk about how he, he was one of the people that were trying to uh, overthrow Hitler. Like there was like an internal coup attempt and there was a group that almost got away with it. They 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 exploded a bomb and it, it only injured Hitler or something like that, but it didn't, um, it didn't kill him. And the long story short is, and I, I could be mixing my things up here, but I, I believe one of the conspirators, they basically got away and he was one of the generals or someone high up in the army. And yes, yeah, some, some fucking bitch, some lemming saw him in a bar and what do you know? She dubbed him into the SS. They got in, they captured him, they killed him. I think they fucking hung him with like a meat hook or some shit like that. So cra crazy stuff. But I mean, that, that's what I mean. And we saw all that kind of crap in, you know, Canada. And I mean, one of my closest friends, actually, shout out to Todd, his sister fucking snitched on him. Like, she told the cops that he had a, apparently a, I probably shouldn't say what he had. But anyway, she told the cops that he had a particular certificate and they came knocking on his door about that. Like, it was wild he's like man here's a screenshot from my sister and you know she goes on tiktok and she's like oh yeah you know my brother doesn't believe in covid and all this sort of shit and i was like what the fuck i would kill her so to a large degree like who who is the real enemy here like if the masses weren't so blind dumb stupid the so-called parasite would have nothing to weaponize against the um against the remnant like and the, the the parasite would have no teeth and, and that that's like a big thing uh shira i think his name was um the guy who wrote the rise and fall of the third reich he mentions in there he's like the germans had multiple 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 opportunities to not only stop hitler but to overthrow him to not listen to him at the very fucking least but they did they did it anyway and I've always said this, I said, you know, Hitler didn't kill X million people. It was the Germans who listened to him. It was the masses who listened to him. It was, they fucking did the job. It wasn't Hitler by himself. And I don't know, when I wrote these pieces and the environment that I was in at the time and dealing with morons, like, you know, suffocating themselves at the fucking gym while they're on their treadmills with their three masks and stuff, I just came to believe that, hey, it's these guys are the problem, not the so-called, uh, you know, lizards behind red curtains. And that, that's an interesting idea. And, and I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way because, you know, people are always talking about, oh, you know, mass, um, 
mass adoption. We need to help the masses. We need to do this and that. But I, I don't know. Number one, I don't know if that's a valid strategy. And number two, as I kind of make the claim here, is that it's the remnant who shapes the world, not for the masses and definitely not for the parasites. But we shape the world, we structure it, and that default becomes the canvas upon which everyone else can then paint their journeys and their lives. And if we leave it to these idiots to paint, like, the lemmings don't even know that it's a fucking canvas. As I said, like, playing the game against them is like playing with a fucking potato. They've got no idea that they're even fucking playing, right? And, like, if we leave it, obviously, to the to the parasites, they'll destroy us all, they'll kill us all, and they'll keep weaponizing the lemmings against us. So, yeah, I think... I think there's a there's an argument and there's a case to be made for fuck the masses as bad as it sounds, and I think I think the way I try and validate that in people's minds, you know, everyone who's like, look, there's good people out there, we can't leave them behind. It's focus on the dormant remnant, focus on them, focus on the people who are likely to wake the fuck up and snap out of the hypnosis. Focus on the people as like what Leonidas says in the clip that I spliced into this. Spartans, what is your profession, right? Focus on them. Don't get a bunch of lemmings to come on the wall with us. Because when the time gets tough, when shit hits the fucking fan, they ain't going to be there. Like I was at um at a bit dev recently and it was like, you know, bear market bit devs. It was fucking empty. Like that's the remnant for you. See, they're the ones who remained. And that's that's what we want. And I, and I think if we focus on those, I think that's the basic, the essence and the takeaway of this whole thing is that, you know, yes, the parasite is the enemy. You know, the, the lemmings are also the enemy. We're not trying to save them either. Fuck them. Fuck them both. What we want to save is the dormant remnant, the, the people with the strong values, the, 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 the productive people, the, the ones with the gumption enough to stand with us during this fight. Because that's what this is. The world's going to get dumber and dumber. Like earlier today, I did a tweet. I was like, the real measure of hyperinflation is the clown world score. Like, you know, as that continues to increase, like, you know, that, that's inflating at the moment, the, the level of clown world. And I mean, when that goes into hyperinflation, we're going to see some really fucking weird shit. And I don't even want to think about what kind of crap is going to be happening. Like fuel prices are up. Food prices are up. I don't. I don't even know how people are surviving at the moment. I think we're, you know, borderline snappage. Um, you know, their their four hundred one ks and all that sort of stuff would have been decimated in the last couple of weeks with this, you know, crash. And then all the idiots who thought they were going to get rich quick from shit coins, they're fucking slammed. Like all of this stuff. So it's it's a wild time. So pick your friends carefully, because who you spend time with is who you become. I learned that one from Robbins. I don't know if it was his or if it was someone else's, but that's where we're at now, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've got a lot from these three part, uh, this three-part series, The Remnant, and this final series where I've tried to tie it all together. If you enjoyed it, boost some sats on Fountain. Drop me a line of what you want me to read next week. I will read the Isaiah's job, and we'll do a bit of a dissection of that essay. That's going to be a tough one to read because the language is a little bit, a little bit older English, a little bit more formal. So that's going to be interesting to do. But hey, we'll we'll do our best.
Send me a boost. Let me know what you want me to read beyond that. I might go to some of the earlier, uh, to the earlier written works that I did, like Why Bitcoin Matters and some classics like that. And let me know who else you want me to put on the show. I have some interesting guests coming up, including Michael Saylor. Finally, we're going to do a series together. And Dr. McCullough, where we're going to be delving into how you can optimize basically your health, your longevity, and a whole series of things like that. So lots more coming up. I also am looking at changing the name of the podcast. And the, the, the name I'm thinking about going with is Contrapliant. And I'm sure those of you who, who know me, and there's a particular person I'm talking to who's listening to this, perhaps. But uh, those of you who know me will kind of know what that word means. I guess you can kind of guess. Like you've got compliant and contrapliant. So it's the opposite of that. And and to me, the word means a little bit more than just uh, non-compliant. It means actively non-compliant. So the, the problem, you know, we obviously love the name. I mean, I obviously love the name Wake Up Podcast, and it goes really well with the with the intro song, etc. But... The, the downside is it's just not fucking searchable, which is a pain in the ass. So I'm going to be looking at potentially doing that. If you've got any comments or feedback, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. If you like Contrapline as an idea or as a name, or if you've got any other ideas, I'm all ears. Um, I'm not looking to change it soon. It'll it'll sort of happen as I, as I get a feel for what I want to do with this. But yeah, we're going to keep doing the reading. We're going to keep doing the weekly episodes. We're going to keep, we're going to stick to one hour shows so that we can keep them tight and clean. And yeah, we'll probably transition the brand out into something that's a little bit more searchable and to a word that we actually own and start to get this message out to more people. So thank you once again for everything you do, for for your listening, for your support, for sharing this around. It means a lot. And I will see you on a future episode of The Wake Up Podcast. Thank you for listening to The Wake Up Podcast. Find us on the Fountain app and send us a boost with a comment. I'll try and read them each week and send you a shout out. And remember to grab a copy of the Uncommunist Manifesto and join us in defeating the plague that is consuming our world.